Um, okay. Welcome back to Talking Knicks. We had quite the week of ups and downs and downs in Knicks world. Uh, I don't want to be here. These guys don't want to be here. The Knicks didn't want to be there yesterday. But we're here. So, since we're here, let's talk Knicks. All right. Before we get into the downer, that is the New York Knicks. How's everybody doing? I saw you both yesterday. Tom, I saw you for a moment. Kenny, I saw you for multiple moments. And, and the day before, we also saw each other. But I'll start with Tom. Hey, guys. It sounded like, well, I know for a fact, you guys had a more fun weekend than I did. Um, I wouldn't say that. No? <laughs> uh, no, I had my, my pretty standard uh weekend here we should say we're recording this on super bowl sunday in the afternoon before the game so we don't know what happened so no spoilers um <laughs> but no I, I don't know we're uh, i'm gonna head over to my neighbor's place catch the game ordering a bunch of food so excited about that but i i don't know i i don't have like any strong rooting interest in this one so it's hard for me to get too too amped up about this year's super bowl I guess I'm going to go for Cincinnati just because I have some family and family friends in Cincinnati. So I might as well go for that. But um, I don't know. Beyond that, I'm doing fine. How are you guys? Kenny, what about you? I'll give, wait, before Kenny goes, I'll give you a rooting interest. I bet, I bet $100 on the, the Rams to win the Super Bowl before the playoffs started. A thousand plus 1,000. So I'd win $1,000 if they win. But I hedged it, so I'd win seven hundred dollars, and I'd win four hundred fifty dollars if if the Bengals win. So if you if you're really rooting, if you want me to have an additional two hundred fifty dollars or not, that's really what what it comes down to. I mean, that might cover some of the poor sports cars investments that I made you make. Um, I mean, look, Those for the listeners, up. we uh, we bought we all went in on a few cards, including a Joel Embiid rookie card, which actually might make us its money back because he is the odds-on favorite to be the MVP. He's looking dominant. We also bought a Kevin Garnett rookie card that was just, we should have just burned that money. Um, that's my bad, guys. But, Greg, I do want you to, to make that money back. I don't, no hard feelings. I got more hard feelings toward Kenny. Yeah, I, uh, I made Greg lose all of his money in crypto and NFTs <laughs> from NBA Top Shot. So, like, I get it. I get it. Uh, yeah, like I, I had a, a weekend. I hung out with Greg and some of Greg's, Greg's college buddies. New Haven, Connecticut, we went out to Modern Pizza, got some Pete's, some, uh, some good pie over at Modern, and then we like hung out and did stuff, which I haven't done in a long time. And I'm not like a drinker by traditional standards. Like historically, I've been a social drinker, so I haven't drank in the last like two years because I haven't socialized. Um, but we, we drank some beers with the fellas and, uh, didn't, didn't feel good yesterday. Uh, so that's, that's where I'm at. That's how old and uncool I am at this point in my life. But then yesterday I went and hung out with Tom and, uh, watched the Knicks in a terrible loss, which, uh, only made things worse. So that, that's, that was my weekend. Thanks for bringing it up, guys. Yeah, that, that is a, yeah. a rare instance where the Talking Knicks crew gets together to watch a game together. So, yeah, Kenny and I did watch last night's game, as we're recording this, last night's game. Um, 
and it was it was not fun but i'm sure we'll get into all that so so greg take it away yeah all right so the Knicks we're coming off a one and three week i mean don't let this terrible loss by the Knicks to the blazers overshadow the terrible losses we had earlier in the week to the utah jazz and the denver nuggets those were just i mean the jazz game was i mean if you watched it it was almost equally heartbreaking to this blazers game um other than the fact that the blazers are just not a good team then you could see you could understand the jazz making their comeback the Knicks were up 82 70, 70 late in the third in that one. And they, they did the same thing that they did against the Blazers. They just were bad uh, and they lost. But Mitchell Robinson was an absolute monster in that one. Julius Randle appeared to be back in that one. Uh, the Knicks just looked like the team that we fell in love with last year through the third, through the through late in the third. And then they, they looked like the New York Knicks in that fourth quarter. And we got the new those same New York Knicks in the fourth quarter yesterday. So yeah, it was a rough week. Greg, then, you mentioned that, you mentioned Mitchell Robinson. Um, he finished that game with 19 points, 21 boards, and like he came out just like you said, an absolute monster. And a huge part of that was Rudy Gobert, who is usually a Knicks killer, was not playing in this one. And Mitch Rob completely took advantage of that. It was it was great to see. He looked healthy. Um, and he was just like real athletic looking and it was a complete just the complete opposite of what we saw against Portland where Mitch was just hobbling up and down the floor um he just every play between every play he was limping even more so I know Kenny made kept making the point that Mitch always limps when he walks completely fair but it was especially pronounced against Portland like dude just couldn't move and uh, it, it really, really killed us. It was like in, uh, in Wedding Crashers when he's like, what's going on with you? Every time I turn around, you're on the ground. That was, that was Mitchell Robinson at the beginning of the year. I don't know if you guys remember that, but, like, the first 10 games, he, he went out of every game in, like, the third quarter after taking a hard fall and went back to the locker room and we're all just like, I don't know. Kind of a little boy who cried wolf situation, but, like, he's actually hurt now which is uh, not great. And I think it, it's, it's worth mentioning that after that Jazz game, he did, uh, he did have a sore back and was questionable for the following game. So that's not ideal. Yeah, he, he, uh, he had that sore back from carrying the team. I'm oh! Sure you guys probably saw that joke going around on, on Twitter, but uh, I thought it up independently of, of those other people. I didn't say it online, though. Yeah, he ended up uh, missing that game against Jokic and the Nuggets. Um, and, I, and I feel like that one was never really a contest. I, I actually didn't stay up to watch that game. Um, yeah, that was, that was one that, I mean, I didn't watch it either. I, I, honestly, I turned this game on in the second quarter. They were losing by 20, and, and I turned it off immediately. I didn't watch it play. I saw the score. Because uh, we all assumed that this is what was going to happen. No Mitchell Robinson, no Nerlens Noel going against Nikola Jokic. Um, and, I mean, the offense was there. There was 36 to 40 after, after one. But the defense was not, which makes sense when you don't have your two defensive centers, the anchors, and you're just 
going against the second best center in the league after Joel Embiid. Yeah, and if we had Jokic's card, he might be the best center in the league. Yeah, by our opinions. And then that's, that's, not and much. Then I, else I mean, to say about that game, but I ahead. mean, I, <laughs> uh, I think there there might be one more point to make about the Nuggets game, which is the highly controversial decision of having R.J. Barrett in towards the end of that game, resulting in him. Uh, twisting his ankle, I believe, spraining his ankle, uh, hurting his ankle in some form, and not being available for the following two games. Yeah, that's a good point. I know we were going to get to that eventually, um, and that was in this, in this contest, and uh, that's about as bad and indefensible as it gets. Like, you know, I don't want to say we are Tibbs defenders necessarily on this podcast. I think he gets a lot of just hate and vitriol and fire Tibbs and all of this stuff online but i mean he was just out of his mind can you guys hear me okay by the way i feel like my audio is cutting in and out good no we can hear you keep this in keep this in bottom line is (laughs) like seeing the sausage being made who's gonna edit that like there's anyway (laughs) um yeah like that decision to leave rj in is just it's unconscionable It, it it could have been much worse. You're down 20 or 17 or whatever it was with less than a minute left. No reason for him to be in. The only thing that could happen is, is bad. He's not going to learn anything in that amount of time. So, uh, yeah, and, and as a result, RJ missed the last two games. Yeah, and I mean, that is what Tibbs has been known for for his entire career. He was known for it with the, the Bulls and kind of the idea that he runs down players. Um, and, you know, he, we saw a lot of that last year. Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett both played a lot of minutes. Uh, but, you know, it's, there's less, of, less forgiveness for him this year because the Knicks all are not playing as well as they were last year. So it's, it's not ideal. And, and I know Tom said that we're not t- Tibbs defenders. I feel like I am a Tibbs defender, but, like, this one isn't really defensible. Uh, it's, not, it's not a great look in the end. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's about as bad as it gets, right? Like, RJ is the cornerstone of the franchise at this point. He is the most important player for this team's future. Leaving him in in that situation, having him get hurt. I mean, I don't know what the argument was. I know that when, they, when media asked Tibbs after the game why he was in, Tibbs said, you know, we thought we could make a run. We cut, the, we cut it to 13 or whatever. We thought we could make one more run. Which, with under five minutes to go, sure, okay. But by the time we got to less than a minute left, when he'd subbed out all the other guys, no one asked him specifically about that choice. And, you know, if RJ had not gotten hurt, we wouldn't really be going on about it to this length. But he did. And so, like, there's always that risk every time you make a kind of reckless coaching decision like that. And, you know, whether you think that RJ could actually have learned something in that amount of time, he's now missing the opportunities to learn in full games in these last two contests, particularly against the Golden State Warriors, where there was crunch time involved against, you know, a very high pedigree team. So, yeah, I, I'm still – I'm going to have a hard time getting over that specific decision. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, guys. Like, RJ's development is the biggest storyline for this season. 
And if he's not able to play multiple games, it's a, just because of a coaching decision, that's a huge bummer. Yeah. It's not, it's not great. It's not great. And, um, I mean, I think that was dulled just a little bit by uh, the fact that without RJ Barrett in the next game, the Knicks beat, like you said, a very good Golden State team. Um, so, like, we – like, after, the, after beating Golden State and after three quarters of the Portland game, like, I feel like there was a little more – a little less uh, kind of hostility because, like, it looked like the Knicks were turning a corner. And then that kind of the wheels fell off. Yeah, and then this, the hostility came right back at the, the end of that Blazers game, and you had the the fourth quarter, their blow up that we're we're so used to, where you know the offense is either Julius Randle um, isoing or Alec Burks trying to do something for some reason, which you know that's. We haven't even spoken about the trade deadline, which happened this week. Um, the <laughs> nothing happened. Because nothing happened. That's exactly right. But, I mean, just seeing Alec Burks still continue to, to be the Knicks' go-to point guard in, in crunch time. And throughout the to, – to start when Kemba's injured is bad. It's that. It's, I mean – it was good as a as a point guard in in a, a series where the Knicks lost four to one against the Hawks, and, and that has influenced the decision to have him be our go-to point guard for this entire entire season since Derrick Rose got injured. But we've now signed Ryan Archidiakono for the remainder of the season. He hasn't played in his uh, twenty days as a Nick thus far, but he's he's, he's been injured. he's been injured. Yeah, and I mean, when you got a chance to sign an injured guy to a remainder of the season contract, you got to do it. (laughs) I mean, you mentioned Julius Randle. We probably should say he's playing the best stretch of basketball he has this season. I mean, talk about important storylines. Like, you know, Randle's – I think I I tweeted something to this effect. Like, Randle's – the growth in his game from the beginning of the season to now – is like getting a whole new player. Like that's almost like a trade deadline acquisition. If we're going to put real rose colored sunglasses on, um, is that rose colored glasses? Yeah, that's it. Rose colored glasses. Um, look, Randall's been decisive. He's been making quick decisions through like the first three quarters of these games. He is really pushing the ball and getting out in transition. He's setting hard screens and rolling. Like he's not, he's doing all the stuff that we'd wished he would do off ball. He's not just standing around. He's not just calling for ISOs. Um, The fourth quarters, it has been a regression to the early season Randall that we haven't enjoyed watching and hasn't been all that productive. But I mean, you look at these stat lines for these last few games for Julius. I mean, he's putting up monster lines. He's playing a whole different energetic brand of ball. So that's super encouraging to see. Uh, the fact that it hasn't led to uh, wins for the most part is is disturbing, but um, part of that could be traced back to the the role players, the guys are, I mean, the fact that RJ was out for a couple of games, sure, but also the role players around Randall are not performing well. You mentioned Burks, Greg, but also, I mean, Quickly and Obi have been just real brutal. Evan Fournier had a couple solid games in there, but also he just remains hit or miss. 
Uh, some games he'll just be the worst player on the floor. Other games he's indispensable. You really never know what you're going to get from him. But I just wanted to call out Julius Randle's emergence because he's starting to round back into last season form. And, you know, it's probably a little too little too late at this point in the season, but still worth calling out and celebrating a bit. Yeah, and I, I agree with that fully just because, like, we've given Randall a lot of uh, kind of criticism over the course of the season for, you know, his, his effort has waned, his production has clearly dropped off from last season. So, like, when he's doing what he's been doing for the last week or so, or actually longer than the last week, maybe the last 10 games or so, uh, you got to give him credit. Because, like, you can't criticize a guy and then not give him credit when, he, when he's also doing well. And, like, it bothers me a little bit because I feel like people are still, you know, just because it was a popular thing to dump on Randall, they're still trying to do it. And it's just, like, it's not fair because the guy's, the guy's playing well right now. And it's not yeah. like he's just making shots either. You know, that's, it's not a difference um, of just shots going in, make or miss league, you know, yada, yada, yada. He's playing differently. And it's, it's a – He's playing in a type of way that will open up things for his teammates too, that will like actually benefit others. He's not just like putting his head down and like creating for himself. He's also creating for others too. So it's, um, it's going to probably help, I think, for some of the young guys' development if they can be put in the right positions. I mean, Quentin Grimes had maybe his best game of the season. He, I know he had 13 points in the third quarter against Portland last night. Um, it felt like a lot of those coming off Julius Randle passes or at least passes uh, that resulted from Randle drives. So, you know, it's just, it is, Kenny, to your point, you have to tip your cap when he's playing this well. And it's, it hopefully bodes well for the rest of the season and hopefully the remainder of his contract because this guy signed for multiple years. Yeah. Yeah. And he looked good. I mean, and to, to spin it into a positive, you, you wouldn't know by listening to this, uh, we beat the Warriors uh, this week. We beat them 116-114. After, you know, we went, we jumped out to a good start. We were winning after the first quarter. Then uh, we were down five at halftime. I went to bed, assuming the worst. Uh, I didn't go to sleep. Anyway, I just went to, to lay in my bed and not watch the game anymore to, to protect, protect myself. But, uh, it turns out the Knicks ended up winning that game, 116-114. Uh, and I'm sure if I, I had watched, they would have would have lost. Looking at the play-by-play, looks like they they did their best to blow it in a Nick fashion, just missing um, Art Randall, Reddish, and Burks all missing a free throw in the last uh, minute. Which is impressive, you know. You'd think somebody would do a good job, but they're all they're all committed to to each other and to, to team unity. I love how you're gonna spin it to positive, and then went, went to their free throw shooting. I mean, it, it was impressive. It was scary. Yeah. no worth calling out for sure. Because like Cam Cam Reddish was is top five in the league in free throw shooting, and like missed a free throw with like under thirty seconds left, which isn't ideal. But the Knicks, the Knicks won, so it doesn't matter. Why are we even talking about it? it yeah, Clay Thompson matter. missed a shot at the Clay Thompson missed a shot at the buzzer, and we are. That makes us the we would we would be the second best team in the West if we were in the West, but we're in the East. So that's how the transitive property works. We're not in the playoffs. 
Dude, that that look that Clay Thompson got though, he he was being deed up by Evan Fournier. I don't know if you guys saw it, but he uh, he got himself a look. I mean, that's it was pretty much just a free throw. It was pretty much a fifteen footer wide open. You expect him <laughs> to make that like every time. Um, it hit back rim. It was not a function of good defense. I'll say that much. But I'm yeah. not. But again, positive. No, we got it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, that's stick to the and so that's the Greg Poone defense. Hopefully, hopefully he misses. That's, that's... Good defense. It's a mind game. Tibbs is playing 3D chess. Didn't guard Clay Thompson to surprise him into missing. Yeah. If it works, it works. And it did. And it's like Kenny was saying with, with Randall, you can't blame a guy when stuff's not working and not give him credit when it is. And with Tibbs, you know, you got to give him credit for that defensive scheme on that last play. Well, that's exactly. the thing. It's like the, the, even going back to the offense, I know people have really criticized Tibbs' offense in crunch time, the way it bogs down. But, like, does Tibbs give the directive at the beginning of games to, like, push the ball off rebounds? And, like, is he telling them to push the pace and go? Or is that just, like, the players doing what, they're just, what, what they want to do? You know what I mean? Like, do the players decide to slow it down in fourth quarters in crunch time? Or do the, does Tibbs actually say, hey, hey, fourth quarter came around. It's close. Let's really grind it down to a halt. I, I just – I can't imagine that's what he's telling them in huddles. Um, part of me yeah, thinks it's just like a comfort thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that we're never going to have insight on. I know the beginning of the year, um, and it happens every year, uh, I think Tibbs was talking about – uh, the Knicks need to, to push the pace a little bit because historically Tibbs' teams have been towards the lower half of pace, towards the bottom, not even the lower half, like the very bottom of pace. Uh, so he always talks about speeding things up and making things more, you know, utilizing the athleticism of some, some of the younger players a little more. But like that, and you and I talked about this time, like that is just a lot of the times how NBA teams operate in the clutch. You get the ball to your best player and then see what happens. And, like, that's not something that favors the Knicks uh, because the Knicks don't have the, the top-end talent that a lot of teams have, although they just lost in the clutch to Portland, who doesn't have anyone at that top level uh, other than a guy who wasn't playing, in Dame Lillard. Um, so, like, I, I, I don't know how that works because, like, they, they made it to where they were with a 23-point lead, playing good team basketball, good passing, getting open shots for people, good ball movement, good good player cutting, player movement. Uh, and then, like, it just went to, to Julius Randle. And, like, he made a few good plays, but he made some bad plays. And then there was – I don't know, you know. I, I just don't know, but I think that's a function of how the NBA works is you get the ball to your best player and hope for the best. It's a shame. <laughs> yeah. But I, what else what, – what do you do in that situation? Like – do you continue running your sets? Because I feel like defense tightens a little bit, and I don't know. Yeah. I mean, part of it, I think, is, is comfort. Because, I mean, when Evan Fournier is launching away in the first quarter, I don't care. But when he's launching away in the fourth quarter, I'm like, don't do that. So, <laughs> That's the thing, though. It's like, Randall, when he gets a rebound in the first half or the third quarter, lately he's been just – pushing it and doing like hitting ahead um, and getting out on the break and running the floor. And almost every time he does that, it leads to a good look. 
because it's before, it's before the defense gets ready. The defense is kind of like done. Maybe they've done some scouting and they see that the Knicks really don't do that much. And all of a sudden it's starting to surprise teams in playoff series. I could see that drying up, but in the regular season, that still works. And um, I don't know. I, but in a, in a late game situation, like that's, you're also going to slow down the ball. And do you think that's, that's the result of that? And the impact is that, you know, the Knicks aren't as good offensively in the half court. I mean, part of it is the Knicks just get – we've. I mean, Steve – I think it's uh, Stephen Jones, uh, Steve Jones Jr. on Twitter, he called this out a while back. But the Knicks get into their sets so late. Like, Alec Burks will walk it up over half court. He'll get over the half court line at 16 seconds. They'll set their first screen with, like, 11 seconds left. And then you're already down to, like – next thing you know, you've run one action and you're down to less than five seconds. And – it's just – it's an inefficient use of time. Like, even if you just, like, sprint over to the half-court line just to get into your offense, get, like, your first screen set with, you know, 19, 18 seconds left, it makes a huge difference. And you can kind of run more things, and you're not rushing to get a shot off. It's just they're so slow to get into everything. And part of that is guys like Burks and, and sometimes Randall in crunch time too, just walking it up and having no sense of urgency. Even when, you know, last night they were losing at points, but like they were down by five and um, Wally was saying, Burks should not be walking this up right now. He needs to get this over the half court line, play with some pace. Um, and yeah, that was, it was crunch time. And, and I think it was still kind of called for at that point, but it's not always the case, but I, I think that's, that's part of the, part of the issue in my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Fourth quarter is always a, a tough watch. For winning, you get scared of losing, and if we're losing, you know we're not going to make a comeback because there's no fourth quarter offense. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we could talk a little bit about Cam Reddish, who actually got some minutes because RJ was out. Um, you know, when RJ comes back, I don't know that I feel confident that Reddish will actually. I mean, he he's played pretty well. So, I, and you hear Tibbs talking in post game saying like Reddish is earning his minutes. I just don't know where they're going to come from on the wing when, when Barrett comes back, but we will see. Um, what do you guys think of, of Reddish, whether it's his stat lines or kind of what the, the chatter around him? Are you, are you guys feeling good about him at this point? I mean, I think you uh, and I are maybe lower on Reddish than Nick's Reddit or Nick's Twitter generally. Uh, I think he's got skills, and I think sometimes Nick's fans get tantalized by those skills. And, like, he showed some flashes uh, in his time playing, but, like, he also showed some of the things that we questioned, like poor shot selection on a a few questionable, like, step-back pull-up threes. Um, But, like, they have have a year left to figure out what they're going to do with him. So, like, I'm I'm okay with him getting some burn and and seeing where where it goes. Uh, But, like you said, I don't know where the minutes come from. We talked about, you know, Obi is playing very bad and potentially Cam Reddish is a guy with his – kind of size and athleticism that might slip into uh, uh, a power forward role. But we'll, uh, we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I mean, I, I like him. He looked like he could do some stuff on offense in the, the first half of the Warrior game that I, that I watched. So based on that. But he also, I mean, he doesn't look like he's always engaged on defense. Uh, when he got in that, that Warriors game, he did look engaged in the first half. But a lot of time he'll – He'll just be like standing there with his arms up, not like active. But that's just something to to work on. Um, just like 
Sometimes you'll just see Randall standing around pretending to play defense. That's that's how I feel like Reddish is, but he's not he's not good enough to do that yet. Neither is Randall, but he's still tough. Yeah. I will say about Reddish, um, one of the things he does probably better than almost anyone on the team at this point is cut. Like no one on this Knicks team cuts ever. And so when you see Reddish do it, it's like, whoa, what was that? You you can you can do that, you can go towards the basket. Like when you don't have the ball with purpose, it was, it's a little jarring, um, but Reddish is already like a pretty good cutter. And so if the Knicks get a point guard, like if Derrick Rose comes back, then that could be useful. But right now it's just kind of a waste of energy, but. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. This, sorry. This is about as negative as, as I've gotten on this, on this. I mean, podcast. How could, you can't be positive after that, that Blazers <laughs> game. We thought we were going on the, the uptick after beating the Warriors, but yeah. If we, we beat the Warriors home. and then won yesterday's game, this would be a very different podcast. But we uh we did not beat the Blazers yesterday in a very negative way. And the Blazers are like bad. They're they just got rid of all their good players. Damian Lillard's like out for the season. Yeah. It's not it's not a good loss. <laughs> No, I feel like a lot, several losses this week, you were hearing chatter like, worst loss of the season. Um, it's not a good week when you hear that more than once. So um, that, that's kind of where we are. But at this point, I don't know if you got, like, was there any other trade deadline stuff to talk about? Like we said, nothing happened. Um, I, I don't know if you guys want to talk about, like, what we wanted to see happen. I, I said on this podcast before the deadline that I would be surprised at any move that happened. I said any move that happened would surprise me. And um, alas, I was not surprised. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, Knicks, the Knicks did make the Cam Reddish move. They just didn't make it at the, de- at the deadline. Um, and I think the, some of the chatter was that, you know, they were going to try to free up some space for Cam Reddish to, to have a more firm place in the um, lineup. Like, I, I don't know how that would have worked out. I mean, people talk about, uh, you know, Burks, Fournier, like those kind of guys. And, like, I'm not sure that Cam Reddish fits readily into the roles that those guys are playing. Uh, but, you know, nothing happened. So it's not even worth – I don't know that it's worth going into that anymore. Neither do they. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's true. It's yeah. sad because it's, it's a true statement that Greg just made. I've kind of got one more player I want to talk about at length, and uh, that's Emmanuel Quickly. Why would you close on this? Because that's where we're going to keep digging deeper and deeper into the crevasse. Um, I Is that a climbing term. I've been. It's a Thirty Rock reference, if you remember that, Greg. I feel like you're a big Thirty Rock guy. Alec Baldwin, yeah, Jack Donaghy. You have to climb down into the crevasse. Um, in order to get out of it. It doesn't make sense scientifically, but that was how they, how they said it. Either way, I've been defending quickly pretty hard on Twitter the last several weeks saying like he should start at point guard because the Knicks don't really need a point guard the way the offense functions. I stand by that, but quickly has made, you know, has made it very difficult to defend him. He has, he's shooting. I mean, the numbers Guys, the numbers of Emmanuel quickly. I'm just looking at the last 12 games here. He's shooting 27.8% from the field and 24% from three. He's, 
he is averaging nearly four assists to just one over one turnover. I mean, that's actually not that bad over that period of time. But he's been on defense. He's been fouling a ton. He can't stay on – it's like he can't even stay on the floor because of foul trouble, even though he's only playing like 15 minutes a game. It's, it's not working for him on either side of the floor. Um, I I'm, I'm said something to that effect on Twitter, and people were saying – almost to a T people are just blaming Tibbs for the role he's been put in. He's not a point guard. He can't be this. He can't be that. Like he, he gets a quick hook and he, he uh, can't find a rhythm. I mean, I imagine it's, it's a confluence of a bunch of different things. Maybe part of it is, is Tibbs and the role he's been put in. But look, when he's on the floor, he has to produce. He, ha- he can't play like this and expect to get more minutes. And I know Tibbs critics, critics will say, well, look at the way Kemba plays. Look at the way Burks plays. Look at how Fournier plays sometimes. And those guys still get their minutes. Fine. But I'm still watching Emmanuel quickly play basketball. Like, it is – Yeah. He's playing terribly on both sides of the floor in a way that is not it, – it doesn't represent his effort level or his execution from his rookie year or earlier than this year. Yeah, it's not great. And, uh, like, I, I don't think you can – I don't know. I think it's easy to, to point fingers and blame Tibbs, blame the rotation. Like, but this is also something that – it's what people wanted, right? Like people have talked about uh, – a lot of people have made a lot about Emmanuel quickly playing like as an actual point guard. And no, I know that your point with him in the starting lineup is he doesn't need to play as an actual point guard because you know, Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, Evan Fournier are all very ball-dominant type players. Uh, but there are a lot of people who are pushing for him to play as an actual point guard and to come back and say that his problem is that, I mean, and I know it's different people saying different things, but like no one is ever going to be happy. Um, but like at some point, like Derek Rose is out. The Knicks only other point guard is Kemba Walker. Like if you don't want Kemba to play, if you don't want, if you don't want uh, Emmanuel quickly to play that role, if you don't want Bert, like there's no other option. So like the Knicks are in a rough shape and rough position uh, and at some point when he's not playing well in that position, like, yeah, it's just, it is what it is. It's not, it's not Tibbs' fault. It's like people go through ruts and like, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm out on Emmanuel quickly long-term cause I'm not, but like, he's not playing well and you have to just call it like it is. Yeah. I mean, I don't, it's one of those things where like, you know, when you're, you're running a fast break and you pull up for three, and you make it, it's like, that's cool. But then when you just run up for three and you shoot it and you miss, it's like, oh, maybe, maybe you shouldn't play. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love it. And there, uh, yeah. there is a little bit of that because, like, the, if, he, if he was making all of he, – like, he's taken some bad shots, and he took some, a couple bad shots yesterday. Uh, and if he were making them, it'd be cool, but he's not. And so – it's not great, but he's a, he's a guy that that's his game. Like he takes deep threes and when they're going in, like it's good, but when they're not going in, it just looks terrible and it doesn't help. Yeah. I mean, he's a shooter. He's got to shoot himself out of the slump though. And I mean, no one else, I mean, we've defended, like you said, everyone else is terrible too. So we should, we could get back to the days when, Evan Fournier didn't play in the fourth quarter ever. Just give those minutes back to, to quickly. Even though Fournier has been good enough until uh, 
till yesterday when he was bad. And so I'm ready to revert back and, and blame him for everything. Fournier is like the only guy who can make shots, which is <laughs> really scary. Um, aside from <laughs> aside from Randall, but we'll see what happens when RJ gets back. Um, it's just. You know, if we're going to call out Cam Reddish for taking bad shots and his shot selection, we have to do it to Quickly too, even though we might love him. Like, I know I do. Like, I, I really yeah. like Quickly. I like his attitude. I, you know, in general, he just plays with, like I said on Twitter, like this joy and this, like, freewheeling kind of, like, devil-may-care attitude. And lately, he just hasn't really been that way at all. He's, like, Quickly is second-guessing himself. <laughs> He's second-guessing himself. He's kind of playing not to make a mistake and playing tentatively, and it's just not the guy that we've seen for most of his early career so far. You know what I mean? So, um, I don't know. That's kind of all I've got with with Quickly. Um, Obi, I don't know if we need to say much more about him. I don't know that we sang Grimes' praise enough, though. Um, that was probably – we probably should have led maybe a little bit more with Quentin Grimes praise just to get a little bit of positivity in there at the beginning. Um, but he's been awesome. Like he's like, especially in, in Portland, his combination of three point shooting, he really gets into guys on defense. Um, if we want to talk about any more positives, we can probably sing Grimes praises a little bit more. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to take this back to a negative place, but also like not really. Um, because I am a firm believer that uh, plus minus is not a good statistic and people love to use it for the wrong reasons. But Quentin Grimes of the people who played any reasonable amount of minutes who had the worst plus minus of the Knicks in the last four games and just watching the games, like that doesn't hold because he played well. Uh, so I just want people who are firm believers in using plus minus to make arguments to know that it's a stupid stat in short samples. Yeah, that's I mean, he, he's good. He's good. He runs around. He shoots it. He's had, had a little bit of a cold streak of late, but he seemed to be getting it back yesterday. Like you said, he had 13 in the fourth quarter, and that was four threes, including a four-point play. So. Well, and Greg, yeah, he had, he had those 13 in the third quarter, and then he didn't take a shot attempt, didn't even attempt a field goal in the fourth quarter, which I think – Again, a lot of people are getting on Tibbs about, like, how are you going to run your fourth-quarter offense through anybody else, not even try to get Grimes a shot? Um, uh, I don't know. I don't have the energy to talk about it. I don't, yeah. I don't care. Like, is, is that really on the coach to get Grimes a shot? Like, I mean, Randall's out here drawing double teams. Like, you find the guy. Yes, you could run that play that they run for Fournier at the beginning of every game. That's kind of our only play to get a guy a shot. It's just the one. So I guess they could have run that for Grimes, but um, or have more in the bag. Everyone deserves criticism at this point. So I don't know, guys. We are at a point where I think the Knicks are. Is it six games below five hundred? I don't have. I think we're, at, we're at seven now. Are we at seven games below five hundred? Um, and then I saw that the Knicks have the fifth hardest schedule the rest of the way out. Um, I mean, just two games from the 10th seed, so that's two games from the play-in game. Um, you'd have to leapfrog the Washington Wizards, who are clearly tanking as hard as they can, so that doesn't seem like a problem. 
Um, the teams in the 9 and 10 spots are the Hornets and Hawks. Maybe you think you can overtake one of those two. Both those teams strike me as better teams than the New York Knicks. But um, like I said, fifth hardest schedule the rest of the way. What, what expectations do you have for the rest of this season? And what are you hoping for? Like what, what is there to hope for? Yeah, I don't, I don't know when, when you throw in the towel. I know uh, this, this play-in situation has, has skewed some, some expectations. So, you know, where you only need to get to the 10 seed to, to make the playoffs. But even if you get to the 10 seed, you probably just lose. Um, so that really doesn't matter. I, I don't know that I'm ready to, to throw in the towel yet just based on how good they've looked during stretches of this one in three week. Um, but at some point, Cam Bradish needs to play more. Obi needs to play 20 minutes. Quickly just needs to get his a run. Um, but if they all get that run, then, you know, you'll, the Knicks will definitely lose those games. <laughs> and the, I mean, the, the, the thing is with the Knicks, like, they aren't at a point where they should be tanking. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe a few weeks from now it's in a different position, but like they're close enough to that kind of play in game situation that it's not worth tanking. Um, and, you know, I think it's in the Knicks best interest to keep playing their best players. And if they're not good, the hope is that if the team's not good, the hope is that some of those players play well enough that, you can reset in the offseason and maybe unload some of those players. I don't know that it's time to start playing the young kids just for kicks, just because that's what Nick's Twitter wants, uh, because we have more time with those players to develop them and, and see what happens. I think you stick with the veterans, and if it doesn't work out, then hope that they retain some value for, for a trade in the, in the offseason. Oh, Kenny, I feel like people are just screaming at you through their headphones right now. Yeah, people don't. I don't. I don't agree with Nick's Twitter most of the time. I think it's a lot of a lot illogical thinking on there. I mean, it depends on what you think is going to actually develop these young players. So, like, I mean, take it. We haven't really even talked about Deuce McBride yet. We saw him for a couple games, and in in some of those instances, in some of those stretches, he looked quite good, like promising. Um, so it's like, is he getting what he needs? from a competitive standpoint in the G league, when he gets to play there, is he able to like practice enough um, with the, with the varsity squad to like, you know, get reps that way um, is, is Deuce's development. Should, should that be a priority? I mean, he was a second round pick, so it's not like you necessarily like rejigger your whole rotation typically for second round picks, but the kid has talent, you know um, it, it's, I think that what actually a lot of people who are proponents of the youth movement movement would say is that that's actually not tanking that like the Knicks best chance of winning is playing the kids as well. I don't agree with that necessarily, but I also think finding a better balance between the vets and the youth makes sense just to get those kids some reps. Cause at some point these games are not going to matter pretty soon. And you don't know that. I feel pretty confident about it. Um, the, the other thing about Deuce is that he's a point guard. And so instead of just 
making so, Alec Burks be the point guard. We could we have a point guard on this bench who just doesn't play. So who whose minutes is Deuce taking then? You can have Alec Burks minutes and Fournier's minutes. Really, I mean, there's nobody good on this team. You can have anybody's minutes you want. Because I, I think, I mean, I think the point is that like. I could see an argument for having Deuce play, but, like, where does he fit in? Because he's not better than Alex, Alec Burks. And, like, Burks is going to get his minutes. Like, Burks is being forced to play out of position because Derrick Rose is injured. And so, like, I, I don't know where his minutes are coming from. Like, you're not going to bench Burks because you're making him play point guard because you have no other choice. But he could, I mean, he could be a better point guard than Alec Burks is what I'm saying. I don't think I think Alec Burks is clearly better at basketball, but so then, but you but, so are you moving Burks back to his position and taking the minutes from somewhere else? And then, like I think the obvious person would be Emmanuel quickly, and I don't think people I mean, are going to be happy. I think the, pro- the problem is that Tibbs is he's like set on having a, a ten man rotation that's really only like an eight man rotation, but you're allowed to play thirteen people if, if you want to. So I mean. That, that's tough, though. Like, are guys getting the opportunities in a 13-man rotation that you want? I, I mean, I think that some of it could be matchup dependent. I, I mean, there are matchups where Deuce McBride is a better option at point guard than Kemba Walker. Kemba was getting just picked on. And, yes, he was good offensively. Like, Kemba had played some of his best ball on the offensive end, but he was just getting targeted time and again on defense, and he couldn't stop anyone. And it was bad. Like, so sometimes that trade-off isn't worth it. And, and Deuce, I mean, he's built like a linebacker. Like he, he is a great point defender at the point of attack. There are going to be matchups where you'd rather have, have McBride be your guy defending the point of attack than Kemba. Than Kemba. Um, and I, so I think sometimes it's matchup dependent. I think some games you need to rest Kemba because of his knees and his age and you know, his wear and tear. It's just – and then maybe at some point you just have to – Shut a guy down for the season. Maybe you have to shut down Alec – I don't know about Alec Burks, but shut Kemba down for the season because of health or, or what have you. Um, I don't know. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, I can see – and again, like I am a strong proponent of having an actual point guard, and I think you've talked me into the idea of Kemba Walker as a bench point guard. But, I mean, Derek Rose is coming back soon, so it could all be moot. Um, but I, I don't know how I – feel about like if Kemba is missing a game here and there for maintenance like is that even put that's also not putting McBride in a good position to play like once every once a week like that's not not ideal for uh for for experience purposes it might be better than zero times a week though I don't know because I mean that's what people talk about with quickly like not having the opportunity to like get a groove and like if you're playing one game like it's not it's not one game with this group of people and then splitting your time with the G league. Like I think consistency and like building confidence is also part of it. I, I just don't know. Like I'm not, I'm not sold on that. And I think we have a lot of time with Deuce McBride to, to figure out where he fits. So I'm not worried about it necessarily this year. And I'm, I am appreciative that they have him playing in G league games, which historically in like past years, the Knicks didn't do that with, with most of their rookies. They didn't do it with like Knox, Nilakina, any of those guys. So like, I think that's a good place because, there are a lot of NBA players and some of like very good NBA players who spent early seasons, mostly in the G league. And like, so I'm, I'm comfortable with him doing that for now. 
Yeah, I mean, the G League season will end eventually. It's, uh, um, I don't follow it that closely, so maybe it just goes year-round. Um, but maybe we could just stop talking about the Knicks now. I, I don't think it's probably for the best to say like, I mean, I don't know if you <laughs> want to talk about like the games coming up. Um, no, I don't. No, I think yeah. I'm good too. We don't need to do like <laughs> predictions or anything like that. Uh, when's the, all- the all-star break soon? I feel like it's, is it this it's week? Gotta be. Is this week? It's yeah, February it's 20th. So a week from today. Yeah. Yeah. So Wednesday is the last game they play before. For the break, that's nice. Yeah, it's be a good week for us. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, now that we've finished everybody's least favorite regular podcast, let's move on to everybody's favorite sub podcast. What else is on? Super Bowl's on today. We talked about that briefly, but what what else is on? I know we three of us all have the same thing on the on the television right now, which is the after party on Apple, Apple TV. It's just a great show. It's got star power, um, niche star power. Um, maybe not everybody knows these household names, but Alana Glazer, Sam Richardson, Ben Schwartz are just just three funny people. And there's other people whose names I don't know. James, I mean, Franco, no, Dave, Dave Franco, Dave Tiffany, Franco, Tiffany Haddish. I yeah. mean, who's the biggest star probably in terms of you know a name and. Box her, 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 her and Dave Franco are both up there. And then I, Ike Barinholtz as well. Um, yeah, man. I mean, this show is so much fun. It's just, it's just really well done. It's kind of like a little bit of that knives out whodunit, but even less serious. Um, I, we talked about it, I think, on a previous pod, just how every episode is kind of a different genre of, of storytelling. Um, and... It, they haven't missed yet. Every episode, it's been, it's been different. It's been fun. Um, it, it's, it's kept me guessing. I'm starting to creep onto like the after party Reddit to see, to read about theories. That's how you know I'm in is when I start doing research after the show ends um, and go down some rabbit holes. And uh, it's, I'm having a blast. Yeah, it's, it's very entertaining and it's, it's got me intrigued and like to the point where like I'm tempted to go back and rewatch a bunch of episodes and see what I missed because like stuff comes up that you didn't know about and like putting it in context. I'm not, to, I don't like to, to do what Tom's doing and go check on Reddit. Cause like, I like to come up with my own theories, but uh, that's me. So you guys can, you guys can do you. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on this show. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I, I, I'm just hoping that cause like it's all going to come down to the end. And I think we've said that about other shows because like you have to end it well. And I'm hoping that it all comes together well because, like, so far I really like it. Yeah, I mean, there are, like, different types of endings to these whodunits. And, you know, we always kind of talk about The Undoing, that that HBO show with Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman as the one type where it's just, like, the person who was most obvious to do it did it. The no-twist twist, right? That's kind of one bucket of how these whodunits end. The other one would be like only something, building. Well, something happened that like we, the, we, the audience could have never known about, right? Like a twist. Only, only murders in the building. Oh, only murders in the building. Yeah. Wait, remind me how only murders in the building happened. Can we, do we, well, do we want to give spoilers for only murders in the building? I feel like it might've been long enough. Cause like, I don't think that the, that the person, this is a spoiler 
I don't think that the person who committed the murder was introduced until like three episodes in. Right. But I think that there was enough there where people were starting to suspect her. Whoops. <laughs> you know, oh man. And, I mean, we, I, I said spoilers. Yeah. That's no show. Yeah. I, I think, but yeah, I guess that is kind of an example where it's like, you were not going to piece that together using clues from the show. Um, and then there's like the kind that they thread the needle and they just like choose the perfect person who did it. And their the motive makes sense. Like, that there's a rationale to it um, and that maybe there could have been clues for the audience to pick up on, but they weren't obvious. Like it's a very tough, you know, hold a, or needle, needle to thread, thread to, to, to needle it. Yeah. Through. Ne- so I don't, don't so I don't do the sewing. I don't, but uh, it, I, I think that's a, yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough plane to land. How about that metaphor? Nice. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I don't know that I care which one of those it is. Like I'm hoping, hoping it's not an undoing situation um, for personal reasons. Like other people could be fine. Uh, but like, as long as it ends well, like, like I'm satisfied with the ending. If it's like very clear that, you know, there's been clues dropped from the beginning. Like I would prefer that, I think, cause that's, I find that more interesting. But like, even if it's, if it's more like only murders in the building, like if they can end it well enough, like I'll, I'll be in on it. Yeah, I've got one question for you guys. The one that keeps popping up for me is when they find, you know, we're doing spoilers here. So if you haven't watched the show, turn it off. Um, when they find Dave Franco's turn. character, Xavier, dead, they have all the, like, the prawns near him, but also that blonde wig. Do you guys have any theories as to where that blonde wig came from? Because I have no clue. Yeah, I do know. I haven't... Do you, do you think it's going to be important or do you think that's just kind of like a red herring situation? Because I feel like they've only brought it up a couple times and I, I, for some reason, I think that's going to end up being important. There's a, I feel like there's a lot of little things like that um, that like, I'm not sure if they're actually going to matter. That I, like, you have, and that's, that's kind of the, the type of thing that like, you have no way of knowing where that could have like, came from. Or like what yeah, the, we, we haven't seen what, anyone have a yeah. blonde wig, so. Yeah. And like, like, maybe there's some sort of clues if we go back and like focus on it, but I don't, I don't know that there is. Like the other thing that I've been um, thinking about is, uh, so when uh, Xavier, Xavier pours out the, the cat, again, spoilers, when he pour, pours out the cat tranquilizer and then he pours it on Jennifer 1, and I'm wondering if that somehow matters. Because like Jennifer One is someone that we haven't really heard much about. And like very early on, they talked about, um, you know, I think it was um, Indigo thought that he was peeing off the balcony, but later we find out that he was pouring out cat tranquilizer and it landed on Jennifer number one. So like, like does that matter? Is that a red herring? Like, is that gonna come back? And then I think Greg also mentioned, and maybe it was both of you, like, uh, that someone was using the bathroom when they went to go try to clean her off. Like, does that matter? I don't know. I don't know, guys. I don't know. All right. You mentioned Jennifer one, but Jennifer two has been missing for like several episodes and no, there hasn't been like a real effort to find her. It seems <laughs> what, what's going on with Jennifer two? Why, like why have her go missing? What's, what's the deal? What's the deal with Jennifer two? That's the deal. 
And uh, is Jennifer too? Is her husband like somewhere else? Was he? He couldn't He's make overseas. it because he was at a, yeah. Selling shoes for dogs, NBA grade uh, shoes for dogs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, again, these are these are things that we have no way of knowing. Like, both Jennifer one and Jennifer two are pregnant, so I feel like it could be just like a red herring. Is like, oh, she had a baby and no one was like paying attention. Like she's having a baby, so that's where she's at the hospital. Like, I don't know. Yeah, that's just that's pure speculation. There is nothing to back up. I'm just saying that's like the example of. Because we have no, I have not seen any clues to lead me to know where Jennifer 2 is. Although maybe I'll go back and specifically try to figure out when the last time we see her is. So the next episode, which comes out Friday, is, uh, is Zoe's episode. From what I understand, it is animated. I don't know if it's going to, I don't think it's going to start animated. I think once she begins telling her story, it will probably transition to animated. But I don't, I don't know that. For sure. I mean, odd choice, but, you know, this show has been definitely taking risks, so. What, what do you know it's animated? Because, I mean, that's the, the picture of next week's episode is up. It's not available, but there's, like, a very animated one, and I think the recap says her storytelling gets very animated, like a play on words. That's exactly why, yeah. All right. All right. One more, thing, yeah, one more thing I want to say that I've talked to you guys about is that I, I really appreciate that uh, the naming of the most recent episode was High School because each other episode is named after the character who gives their story about how the night unfolded. And uh, the person who gave their story in high school is Walt, who is the person that no one remembers his name or who he is. So I found that to be a funny little, little joke for the audience. No, that's a funny, when you get those meta jokes within the story, you know, the titles of the episode, it's good. That's good. Um, it's a very layered show, a lot of attention to detail. So definitely appreciate that. Uh, I, if you guys had to make a guess, if you had to make a prediction of who killed Xavier right now after five episodes, who are you each going with? I, yeah, I'm going to go with Walt. I thought that from the beginning, but I, I've always thought that that's the, the easy, easy answer. Yeah, I, I'm also going with Walt uh, just because, you know, like, like Greg said, I think it's the easy answer. He has, uh, he wants to be known he, and he's the guy that is continually unknown. And like he said very early on, and like there's plenty of evidence against a lot of different people, but he said very early on that people aren't going to forget him after this reunion. He, there's something about that actor, man. He does some of the weirdest stuff. Some of his choices, I'm just like, you know, when he like drops something, he's like, what do you do? You pick it back up. Like his little like side things he says to himself, it kind of creeps me out a little bit. <laughs> he, he's, he does a really good job of playing just an absolute weirdo and someone that I actually don't think you would forget that person because of how weird they are. But in, that, uh, in this last episode, I think, uh, when uh, Sam Richardson was talking to Ike and the girl on the couch at the end when he's like, all right, I'll see you later. And he walked away. And then the get Walt was like, all right, see you later. And he walked away just out of nowhere. That, that got me pretty good. He, if you go, go back and rewatch a little bit, he kind of is lurking in a bunch yeah. of these scenes. Yeah. Like he is in the he's background a, he's, of a lot of them. He's right behind him in most of the things. Although it, it, 
the the one point that uh it's probably not a pothole but um he comes out after the police show up so like i don't know how he's telling that part of the story because he, does, he comes out and said where'd everyone go and the police told him, tell him to go back inside but that's neither here nor there yeah i didn't know if there if that was like caught on camcorder and I, I don't know that's probably just lore at this point anique's character anique just taking a bat to xavier's car that was crazy um but I think I am going to officially predict Jasper. So Ben oh. Schwartz's character. I think, I think there's a lot there. I think that, you know, Schwartz, I, I didn't realize Jasper broke up the ska pop band himself. He was the one who initiated Scott Scott Um I, I think there's just a lot of jealousy for Xavier's career. He's the one who told Xavier to go by that name. Um, and so I, I could see... Xavier having had the opportunity to kind of rub his face in it and, uh, and maybe a scuffle ensuing or something. So uh, leading to, to Xavier falling off the balcony, but that's for now, I'm going to, maybe we'll have different predictions next week. You guys can tune in, but yeah, I'm going to go with Jasper. Yeah. And I think Jasper for me is on that next level, along with Zoe, who has been like, there's been a few points in this thing where she's been suspiciously quiet. Um, but we'll, we'll find out her, her story next week yeah looking forward to it it's been a great episode of what else is on and a depressing episode of talking next but fortunately we'll only have to watch a little bit of next this week and so like follow subscribe Leave us a five-star review. Do we still say this at the end of episodes i don't remember we, we still say it and we'll, we'll say tell us who you think Killed Xavier. Give us your prediction for the acting party. Who do you think killed Emmanuel? That's That's it. That's all we got. That's it. Thanks for listening. Mixtape.